ready? Go into God's Word together. Lean in. I know it's warm, but it's a cooler today, but we're going to heat things up. We're in the book of Mark, and I want you to just put yourself in this place because there's some things we can all relate to, where all of a sudden, this unknown prophet from one of the most insignificant places in an insignificant country in the Middle East, all of a sudden emerges and makes a big announcement. The kingdom of God is here. Time's up. Everything's about to change. The old order is on the way out. Well, what old order? The old order where power and authority is always used to oppress somebody, where someone's always fighting with someone else, where life is all about who gets the most and who holds on to it for the longest, where there is injustice, there's racism, there's greed and jealousy, and it doesn't just happen with countries, it happens with each of us. And we can hear a message like that from somebody and go, oh, that's nice. I think I'll move on to my next YouTube subscription. But all of a sudden, this one who came announcing this, in the book of Mark, it moves like I told you. It's the shortest of the four Gospels. It's like an action film script to a movie. It just is one boom, boom, boom action after the other. And so within, within moments, Jesus comes and announces this, gets baptized in the Jordan River by his first cousin, John, and, and then he goes off for 40 days and is tempted in the wilderness. It's like, wow, boom, boom, boom. And then he gets together his crew. He, he assigns a team, 12 guys, none of them qualified. Most of them were fishermen. And a whole lot of other people were following along, including, and this is where people really stood up and took notice, including a large group of women. In fact, I kind of think of them as like his stage managers. Nobody laughing. They were financing his ministry. You know, Jesus wasn't poor. He had a treasurer. It was Judas. Wrong guy but he had a treasure. You you don't have a treasure if you don't have any money. Jesus had this huge group of people starting to assemble around him, but what really started to change things is when he moved with his message from town to town in churches. We've already saw that last time. And and it's just like for each of us. You will listen to someone only so long, and then they've got to show you if what they say is true. Am I alone? No, no, actions sometimes do speak louder than words. You can tell me how, you can tell me certain things that you are confident about, but unless you are living them too, you're not going to listen. And and, and it's amazing, In, in the corporate world right now, And this is how important this is. Authenticity. I'm not sure what that is. Authentic? Yeah? Okay, close. I like those German words. Those are the ones I like. But, But authenticity, where what you say is how you live, 
and how you think and how you treat others is, is the most valuable element of being a leader. And so Jesus has these incredible announcements, a kingdom unlike any others, and the only three qualifications isn't money, it's turn around, stop living your own life, live for God, believe in the gospel, the good news, and it's not a set of information, it's a person. See, the king is here. That's why I'm telling you the king has come. And then thirdly, follow me. And it's really amazing those first men and women that began to follow, they hadn't really gotten to hear all of what they were following. Do you understand what I'm telling you? They didn't know Jesus like we do now. We know the whole rest of, we we read to the end of the book already. They were in the moment. But what got everything going crazy is the first time he goes to a church in the very beginning of the script demons cry out he casts them out the church is going what kind of preacher is this he's speaking in power and there's demons screaming and running out the door and the whole question of human life Is there really such a thing as good and evil, or is it made up in our minds, gets solved in that moment? There is evil. It has personalities. There is a malevolent, hateful force that hates humanity. And the message in that moment, in that church meeting was that good and evil exist, but guess what? Good gets the last word. Good overcomes evil. And then what really blew things up is he began that same day as he cast out demons in his new town. See, I didn't tell you everything. Got baptized, goes in the wilderness, goes to a wedding with his new followers. It's all happening, and he moves away from home. He leaves the family construction business. He's the oldest son. And he moves to the sea, Capernaum. It's a seaside town. Starts to rent a flat there and sets up living there. And then he goes to the church that week and casts out demons. And later that day, it says, the whole town brought all of their sick, all of their demon-possessed, people with terminal illnesses, people who couldn't see or hear ever from the time they were born, and all of a sudden, it says every single one of them was receiving a healing. It was a miracle. And and it, it was amazing. And we're talking about the first century where life was short and painful. They didn't have painkillers. Did you ever have a bad tooth? They they had none of that. So life was short. And can you just imagine in your own situation that there was actually someone who could heal everything every time? That doesn't exist today. When we go to the doctor, when we get a diagnosis, sometimes the outcome isn't clear. 
But when Jesus came on and said, there's a new order coming, every sickness, every disease has no place in the kingdom that I'm going to rule over. And I'm going to demonstrate this kingdom is not just words, but it's power and the Holy Spirit. And he begins to show the kingdom in person after person after person. And so Mark tells us in chapter 3, These words, it'll be behind me. It said, a great crowd followed. I guess so. He healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits, demons, saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. See, they knew who he was. So can you just imagine, Jesus isn't just talking about a kingdom where things are nicer. He's talking about something so radical, so revolutionary, and so real. My cousin was dying of cancer. They're healed. My, my aunt could never hear. Now she can hear perfectly. My father never saw a day in his life. He has perfect vision now. And so can you imagine the whole region outside of the country, everywhere the word was getting out, and he was so overwhelmed with people crushing and pushing, and they weren't very nice. They weren't really appreciative. They just wanted a touch. They weren't very thankful. See, he was pouring himself out. And God was getting glorified. And whenever you begin to to live the kingdom personally and the way you choose to treat people in being honest at work when others are doing things you know is cheating the company, maybe it's time, maybe it's resources, and you choose to do what the kingdom says and the kingdom is that we live in front of each other the same way we live behind a closed door. There's no more secrets, and we'll see why in a moment. You start to live that way. You may make some friends with the boss, but but in this world that still exists, the old order's on the way out. It's like old clothes that run out of style. For me, it used to be all my bell-bottom jeans. They're even bigger than the ones I see wearing around now. I didn't keep them. I wish I had. I'd have this. I'd be able to sell them on eBay now. And the shoes I used to wear, they had big platforms. They went out of style. So has oppression. So has sickness. And so has division and war and strife. All of that that it makes life hard, that makes it bitter, that makes it less than it should be, is no longer the future. Hallelujah. That's why it's good news. And so people could see it. They could touch it. It wasn't a philosophy or a new religion. It was a person. Jesus said, I am the truth, not I have some truth. He didn't say, I I have a good life to give you. He said, I am life itself. No one's ever said those things. And so you have this incredible moment, and, and, and people are now, the religious leaders and the national leaders are coming, and as we've seen, they are out to put him out. 
As soon as they saw him doing miracles, instead of clapping and going, wonderful, wonderful, they went out and plotted, how can we get rid of him? He's a threat. You see, when you live in the kingdom now, in this world, you're going to draw attention. Some will love it, but most will hate you. Jesus said, expect it. If they hated me, the master, they will hate you as well. Now, let me stop for a moment. I catch my breath. I'm excited about this. But listen, we can also do things that alienate people and blame it on, oh, I'm part of the kingdom. No, you're just acting not very nice at work or wherever it is. We don't use that as an excuse. What I'm saying, Jesus was saying, if you live the kingdom's values, if you demonstrate the kingdom here and now and how you do your business, most will not like it. They will call you strange. They may call you names. If you live sexually pure and you're not married yet and, and you're not doing what everybody else is doing, they will call you out of your mind. And so can you, but listen, one of the key principles of Scripture, it says that Jesus came into the world. You know, God could have just brought him down on Mount Zion, zoom, like in a Marvel movie, you know, with big, like a bolt of lightning, maybe a flying saucer comes up, I don't know. Use your imagination. But God could have just put Jesus there, and Jesus could have had a microphone for the whole world and go, everybody, repent, believe, follow me, I'm here. Time's up. That's probably the way we would have written the story. Now, what did God do? He sends Jesus into the world in, in, in a woman, in her body, a virgin birth. The Holy Spirit brought a conception into this simple girl up in Nazareth. Or actually, yeah, it was probably in Nazareth, but the point is he was born in Bethlehem, and Jesus grew up like a child. And the Scripture tells us that everything we experience Every human experience, every temptation, every disappointment, he might means he might have gotten bullied by the local bully in Nazareth or what. You know, Jesus experienced every human emotion and feeling that you and I do. And that's why this is so important. I set that up to tell you what happens next here. Today, today's message is kingdom family. And so at the at the peak of Jesus' fame. They're coming from everywhere. They can't even eat, it tells us. They couldn't even get a sandwich. And then they decided to take a prayer retreat, and they went across the lake in a boat, and when they got there, there was a demon-possessed guy there waiting on them, and the whole retreat got ruined. There were so many people on them, and God was being glorified, and it was in that very moment... Jesus' family showed up. You see, Jesus is like us in every way. He had a family. And in Mark 3, it tells us this. When Jesus' family heard it, heard about all the stuff going on, they weren't too far away, just in a neighboring town where all of this was happening. They went out to seize him, For they were saying, he is out of his mind. 
See, Jesus has a family. And, and we actually know that he had four brothers and at least two sisters. So Jesus grew up in a house. He was the oldest, firstborn, with six, at least six other brothers and sisters. And, and, and what I love about this is that the, one of the things that connects every one of us here, this church, what we love about all of our, our family here, our church family, is we're from everywhere, and including Berlin. We got Berliners here. And somebody shout that out. Yay. Yeah, we got Berliners. We got people from all over the world. But the one thing we all have in common, no matter what our language, no matter what our culture, is we've got a family. You've got your people. Your mama, papa, aunties, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters. We all come from a family. In fact, it's God's idea. I, I wrote this. I thought I was clever. I wrote, it's the infrastructure for human flourishing. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Sometimes I get a deep thought. So thank you. I like that. Thank you. No, but the, but the point is God created us to be in a family. And, and our story shows us, come on, listen carefully now. Our story shows us, none of us right now, because remember, we're still in this old order where things aren't the way they should be. None of us come from a perfect family. None of, it, none of us. Nine's not perfect. Yours isn't. And neither was Jesus. I mean, they were trying to take him out in this great moment. And it reminds us, you know, they've, they've done studies that the more they study that most of who we become in our personality as adults, the way we think, who we really are is shaped in the first two years. Yeah. And, and so if you're a parents of young children, love them. Pour out your love in their lives. But the fact is that this story shows us that our family is a great source of blessing. We're all here because we at least had a family that, that made sure we, we went to bed at night, we got fed, we got properly clothed, and we made, Lord willing, most of us went to school. All of those things, we had family. And so the, we see it here. No group of people in your life or mine and by the way, when I say family, I'm talking about marriage too. Because a lot of us here have grown up in a family, and now we actually have a family. And in our case, our children have a family now too. That's the way it works. And, and, and what you learn, no matter what yours was like, is that your family can either be your greatest source of blessing so many wonderful things, or they can trigger you in all of the worst ways that you hate about yourself. Come on. A little bit of laughter there. Think about it. Jesus is having this incredible moment. And they come and try to pull him away and publicly say, he's crazy. I mean, why wouldn't you pull him to the side if you could get him there and say, you need to come home? Why would you do that? Your own family in front of everyone. 
And, and, you know, and it's so common with our families. Some of you here have PhDs or you've started a company, you've got employees working for you. And if mom and dad or aunties come, they, they don't appreciate any of that. I had relatives still calling me little Stevie when I finished college and was married. And don't get any ideas, okay? Because for them, they still saw me as this silly kid with two teeth out in the front, kicking a ball around. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've got this incredible job, and well, when are you going to start a family? And when are you getting married? And in front of your friends or coworkers, do you remember that time you threw up your ice cream at your Aunt Susie's? That's our family. Come on, I'm not the only one. But they called him crazy. And what we find out is they had no idea. I think Mary did. But, but, but I don't have time. To, I wish I could unpack this more. Why did they do that? I don't have time to do that. You can come and ask me about it if you see me. But, but there's a reason why they did that. They were under pressure. The, the boys... The four sons were angry. Jesus left the business. Joseph of Nazareth Construction Company. Maybe that was the name of it. But Jesus was the head of it, and he goes out and does this. But here's the thing. They knew who he was. They had heard the story since they were small. And yet, instead of coming and seeing all these incredible miracles happening and saying, we always knew God had something special for you. They call him crazy. No appreciation to the blessing. Sadly, can you hear this? It was the heart, it was the heart of, the, of the leaders. Somebody gets healed and they're trying to kill him. And, and, and can I just tell you, if you look for approval even from your closest family, if you look for them to, to bless you and, and appreciate who you are, and you keep trying to win their favor, can I just say, you'll never do it. Because the issue wasn't with Jesus, it was with them. And then this incredible moment comes to a climax when he's in a group, and, in, and again, in Mark 3, here's what it says. His mother and his brothers came. So they've already been talking to the crowds, saying, he's crazy. Uh, we don't know why he's like this, but we're taking him home. His mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent him to him and called. They said, come out of the meeting. We want to talk to you. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now listen, this, I'm going to close this now. I want you to listen carefully. There's an application for us. This is not just interesting information. Jesus is not putting his family down. What he is doing is redefining. Are you listening? He is redefining right here what family is. 
We live in a world that's divided by tribes and languages and countries. But Jesus' new order, the kingdom that's coming, has all of us as brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God. Now think how how transforming that is. It tells us that your significance should have come from mommy and daddy and aunts and uncles, your people. But if it didn't, you still have significance because you are now part of our heavenly Father's family that will last forever. I am not looking out on strangers from all over the world. I'm looking out at brothers and sisters who are as much family as anyone in my people family that I come from. In fact, I've talked to some of you at times who feel guilty that you feel closer to the family of God here in the church than you do your own family. That, again, is not something, a problem about your family or you. It's 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 a reality of this, that this is the ultimate goal. And so the kingdom family is to be developed and built up now. But the key for us to do that is to be significantly the way Jesus is in his own family. In other words, our families we came from, maybe you haven't seen them for a couple of years, it is in that environment that we learn the most about how to be part of the kingdom family. You say, Steve, you don't know my family. It's dysfunctional. I think Jesus would say his is dysfunctional too. Because here's the thing. None of his brothers, or we don't know about the sisters, they were back home, maybe had families of their own at that point, but the brothers didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. He had to show up to his next in line brother James personally after the resurrection. So they weren't for him. But what we find out is that in spite of that, listen, here's here's what we learn. He didn't turn his back on them. He didn't abandon them even when they abandoned him. Because he actually did go back with them. It was the last visit to Nazareth that we know of. He actually was the guest speaker in the church he grew up in. I told you about that last week. They didn't like the message. They tried to kill him. But see, Jesus' destiny wasn't in Nazareth. In fact, his mom's wasn't. At the cross, he passed her off to John in a good way, saying, this is your mother now. Because Mary's future as a a warrior for Jesus, as as an intercessor, wasn't back in Nazareth. And your destiny may not be back where you came from either. So it is not unloving. It is not dishonoring to your family not to go back. He did not do what they told him. And sometimes we even have to move away from maybe what the family's pressure is. You only can be in this business. I want you to do this thing. Your grandfather was in this line of work, and you have to be as well. Listen, can I encourage all of us who are parents and grandparents, don't put that pressure on your children. You be their greatest advocate. You be their greatest prayer warrior. And you celebrate that God is working in their life and giving them a vision that will be different than yours. Amen. 
But Jesus didn't turn his back on his family. He forgave them. And some of you may need to forgive what happened when you were growing up. But you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for you. Forgiveness is when you don't forgive, you lock yourself in a prison and stick the key out there and say, I can't get out. Forgiveness unlocks the prison and steps you out into freedom in Jesus' name. And it may not change that they still can't appreciate what you do and who you are, but you've forgiven them. Jesus did that with his family, and that's how his brothers eventually came to know him as not just their older brother, but their living Savior. And so that's a kingdom family, and that's what God's calling us to in Jesus' name. So why don't you stand to your feet? Just close your eyes where you are. Just take a moment's meditation. Let me kind of close us in prayer. Pray for all of us. Lord, we thank you that we're here. We're thankful that we too, like you, are part of a human family. And Lord, I ask that you would enable each of us, whether our family was wonderful or whether it was deeply broken like the one you came from, that you would give us the ability right now in our spirit to forgive unkind words, unkind actions, and set them loose so that we can be a meaningful part of your kingdom family and be forgiving and kind and loving and not filtering our actions as a son and daughter in the kingdom, not filtering it out of what we grew up with, but in who we're becoming instead. And I thank you that you're doing that right now, Holy Spirit. You're speaking. You're touching. Lord, I especially pray for those who've been deeply wounded, who have real, deep, broken hurt. Maybe it's going on right now. Lord, I just pray the comfort and renewal of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, maybe just lift your hands up right now. Just lift your hands. I'm really struggling with some things with my family. So, Lord, I want to pray for those. And I thank you, Lord, that you are a healer, even of our souls and our emotions. And, Lord, those of us that have been given wonderful families, Lord, let us use our experience not for ourselves, but to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.